This podcast is sponsored by Pictmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Pictmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Pictmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Pickmonic, you can study less, but remember more. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. I'm so excited to be speaking with Dr. Wallace Nozil, better known as the musician physician on Instagram. Uh, bro, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me, man. It's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. You know, I followed you, seen the art that you create, that you put into the world. Um, you released a, an album last year? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, almost a year ago now, the beginning of 2021, uh, No Longer Trending. Dope. We'll definitely dig into that uh, a little later on in definitely. the show. Dr. Nozil, you are from Florida, Miami, uh, which I guess is different from the rest of Florida, but uh, you did your <laughs> training and, and education down down there in Florida. So uh, talk about kind of your, your upbringing and what led you to pursue a career in medicine. Definitely. Um, so growing up, I did not want to be a doctor. I was pretty much a huge stereotype from my neighborhood. I wanted to be in the NBA and I also wanted to be an R&B singer. So I wanted to have it all pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, I wanted to be an NBA star that was also an R&B singer. And uh, that was the route I wanted to take. Of course, my mom, uh, so my mom's from North Africa. She's from Morocco. And so she was always huge on school because of course over there you can go to medical school and end up driving taxis. So in her mind, if you can actually study to do something here and then actually do it, it was a no-brainer. Hmm. So the rules were always pretty simple in my house. It was like, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you understand that you're going to bring good grades home. Um, and so in college, I mean, late high school and college, I was heavy on music. Um, and, you know, I'm old as hell, so this was before social media. <laughs> but uh, But so the first summer of college, I remember... And my mom told me, I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to pursue music. And she was like, well, you know, again, you, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't think you're taking time off of school. And so uh, the summer after my first year of college, I went heavy. You know, I went doing shows and I was playing on the radio in Miami and in Orlando and in Gainesville. And, you know, I, I did the old school thing. I sent a million tapes to like record companies oh, and would man. go over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know... Three months isn't long enough to make a dream come true, so obviously nothing came out of it. But um, what, what was, was the name fun. of your biggest? What was the name of your biggest hit? <laughs> um, it was actually uh, the biggest one is a song called "Twerk It Out." Okay. Yeah, but yeah, but but see, like it was it was before like sing the bridge. Nah, right no. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a if it's podcast appropriate. Okay. <laughs> nah, but uh, nah, but it was before like so. I don't know if uh, you remember Usher's album eighty seven oh one. Yeah. 
one of my favorite albums. But he had a song on there called Twerking It Out. So obviously, Twerking had a different definition back in those days. And so when I put that song out, it it, it didn't sing it didn't mean the exact same thing as it does now. But that was the biggest one. Every, I mean, everybody seemed to like that one a lot. So uh, yeah, that was that was the biggest one. And you put that out in high school or college? Well, not high school. Not high school. Um, nope. In in college, college, college. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely college. <laughs> oh man. So what was your yeah? What was your major? Uh, microbiology and cell sciences. Yeah. So I got back to school and then, you know, second year, I, I finally decided, all right, you know, I should probably get serious. My mom wanted me to be a doctor. My sister was already pre-med and always knew she wanted to be a doctor. Um, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do that. But then I actually shadowed a couple of different professions um, and I realized it was really the only other thing I was passionate about. Yeah. And, and you're already set up to go uh, with your your major and so you didn't have to deviate too much from that when you kind of settled. No, nah, I didn't have to deviate too much from that. I had started there anyway. It was, you know, it was a pretty fun first two years. Like I wasn't very disciplined, I guess, my first couple of years. And then once I realized that I actually did want to go to medical school, then I kind of had to take the more advanced classes and, you know, start making all the A's because, you know, I had a whole lot of B's, you know, a couple of A's sprinkled in there too. Um, but a whole lot of B's, a couple of C's, you know, for classes I wasn't willing to drop. Yeah, now in Gainesville, you got the Gators, you got uh, a lot of stuff going on, Juve. Um, how <laughs> did you balance between, because I'm sure you still did some music, you're doing your studies and a big time college experience. How did you manage it all? Oh, it was beautiful, man. I mean, when I was there, that was when we had two football championships, two basketball championships. We had a championship for every year I was there. I mean, it was it was awesome. But um, I found the balance. I think I had a very strong group of friends and some of them from childhood that ended up coming with me to University of Florida. And of course, like I said before, I even went to the University of Florida. We actually moved up to Gainesville. So um, some of my childhood friends were at the at UF with me. <clears throat> and we were always we were always the type of folks that did what we were supposed to do, mm-hmm. but then also had a lot of fun on the side. Um, we just knew that, you know, like for us, or for me at least, it was weekdays was for work and weekends were for fun. So, you know, I wasn't one of those college kids that, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going out. And then Friday and Saturday, I'm going out again. Like, I, I didn't do that. Um, th- there was probably a little stretch where I started going to to these uh, Tuesday nights at, at a certain place. Uh, but for the most part, I was pretty, I was a pretty straight edge kid during the weekdays. So how was that applications process coming from undergrad to medical school? Um, It was, it was hard just because I, I hate paperwork. And of course, now I'm a doctor, so <laughs> now I'm a doctor, so that's all I do. But um, yeah, man, like I, I actually used, I, I used to love writing, so I love the secondaries, but I, I just hated the entire process. But I mean, I, I knew that I wasn't leaving Florida um, just because I wasn't okay. about out-of-state tuition. And so I actually only ended up applying to two schools. So I applied to the University of Florida College of Medicine and I applied to the University of South Florida College of Medicine. Those were the only two I applied to. So that made it a little bit easier for me. 
Yeah, and we were talking earlier because we miss each other by a couple months, really, at University of South Florida. They had that uh, post-bac master's program. Yeah. So what, what led you to do that program? Oh, like I said, man, the first couple of years of college, I just, I, I was not disciplined at all. And so grades were meh. Um, then the second two years, I finally picked it up and I just wanted something to show that uh, I was serious. So went, got the master's. One of my sister's friends, well, not friends, but someone who was in the class above her in med school um, had done the master's as well. And there was also like a research based project with it. And like the more he got published, the more money he got for school. And so he kind of helped me apply for that. And so I went in, you know, I busted my behind and got some money for school and also got my master's. And uh, that time, you know, it was great because by the time I was applying for medical school, I had a 4.0 GPA uh, in the master's. So, you know, I had something to sit on when they were like, well, what happened your first couple of years of college? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. So then you uh, ended up getting into one of the two schools you applied to, so University of Florida. You're still in Gainesville. Yeah. Um, you know, how was your, what was your experience like in medical school? Medical school is great, man. I mean, the master's, I guess, uh, we, when we were talking before, I told you a little bit about, well, you know, the master's, but I got to take a lot of the courses that we took in medical school. So my first year of medical school, I mean, it, it wasn't easy, but it was kind of, it was kind of easy. Cause it was like, I felt like <laughs> I'd already done it once, you know what I right. mean? So like, I got to take first year twice was kind of how I felt. So, I mean, I was I mean, I was probably having more fun my first year of medical school than I was any time undergrad. And then, of course, that sharply contrasted with second year where mm, all I mm-hmm. could think of was step one because I decided I want to do dermatology, which I had always wanted to do dermatology. Um, but when I first so when I first wanted to do dermatology, I actually thought that it was easy to get into dermatology, but that they don't make a lot of money. Um, huh. Yeah, the exact opposite. <laughs> so I, and that, but I mean, you also have to remember, like, I wasn't very disciplined at that point. So that's what I was looking for. It's like, all right, I'm not going to make a killing, but at least I'll be able to just kind of slide by med school. Where'd you get what that? I want to do. Where'd you get that impression from? My family comes from a very humble background. I didn't know any doctors, you know, except for the ones that my mom worked for. So I, I mean, I just got it from myself. I was like, how much could they possibly pay a skin doctor? I just assumed. Yeah, I was like, I was like hey, now you know. Now you know. <laughs> now I know. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was like, how much could they possibly pay him? So I was like, well, you know, at least I can make B's and C's and still make it in there. And then the first thing I found out, <laughs> don't laugh at me, man. Come on. <laughs> and then the first thing I found out was that they get paid. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be all right. Uh, and then the second thing I found out was that it was, you know, ridiculously difficult to get into. So that's mm. when I started thinking, okay, what else do I want to do? You know, and so I started looking at, at a couple of other fields and I'm really hands on. I like using my hands. And so interventional radiology came into my atmosphere and I was like, OK, you know, that came on onto the radar. And I was like, I'm going to I'm going to do interventional radiology. And then I found out that was super hard to get into as well. And then, you know, you have to do radiology. And then on top of that, you have to do fellowship. And I was just like, man, you know, I'm just picking the wrong thing. So I was like, all right, you know, maybe maybe I'll, I'll do something else. And then. Obviously, at some point, and it was it was during my master's, I realized you're just being lazy. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it, it's not like you can't do it. It's not like, you know, it's super hard. You're just being lazy. Like you don't want to sacrifice anything to get what you want. And so I realized, you know, I just 
got to sacrifice a little bit now so that I can get what I want in the long run. Oh, that's, that's crazy because I had a similar experience in, in undergrad when I decided to pursue medicine where I realized I was like, oh, you're just being lazy. That's why, you know, you don't yeah. want to work. Same with well, orthopedic surgery. I wanted to. And then, um, yeah, the, the work just scared me away. And at some point, you've got to kind of buckle down and be like, eh, everything worth having takes some work. Exactly. Yeah, I just I just had to learn how to, you know, say no, like say no to fun and say no to friends sometimes because, you know, me and my friends were really close. Like we're a very tight knit group. So we always did things together. And I just had to get comfortable with saying no when there were, you know, get togethers or, you know, they're like, oh, we're about to go on a cruise and, you know, we're about to take this trip. And I mean, even like before step one, my I have I have two best friends they're my closest friends and uh, my one best friend decided he wanted to get married um right around step one <laughs> imagine and that so I t- yeah i know and i'm the i'm the best man you know oh so i i me being the best man i, I had to tell him luckily like i said i have two close friends and it's the three of us and so both of us were best men luckily because i told him i said you're gonna have to choose do you want me at the bachelor party or the wedding like because I, I can't mm. make both yeah. And, you know, so of course he said the wedding. I was kind of hoping he was going to say the bachelor <laughs> party, but he did not. He did not. But, uh, yeah, he, he said the wedding. So I had to miss my best friend's bachelor party because I was studying for step one because I wanted to get a competitive score so that I could get into dermatology. Sacrifice. Yeah, man. So what did you do to kind of prepare yourself to match successfully to dermatology? Oh, what did I do? Well, busted my ass second year. I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, second year was the complete opposite of first year. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do a thing. Although I did, well, I did, um, I led one of the medical mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And so, you know, that was like my extracurricular because, you know, I wanted to look good and I'm like on application and I also got to do something I'm super passionate about and that's giving back you know, to other communities and to less fortunate communities and, you know, to places with a lower socioeconomic status. And that's, I mean, that that's one of my favorite things. Like I love volunteering time, doing things like that. And so when they said that I could, you know, lead a trip to go to the Dominican Republic and give free healthcare out, uh, I was on board. And so I applied mm. for it. I got it. And luckily it was a lot of fun because that was really just about the only fun I had second year. I mean, of course, time to time, like me and my friends would hang out and have fun and go out. But, you know, I didn't like do anything special. You know, kids are always traveling, especially when you get to college, like you meet these other kids that, you know, are well traveled before they even get to college. <laughs> and and me, I'm just like, well, you know, the only reason I'm well traveled is because we had to go see my mom's family. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, we don't go places for fun. And so, uh, yeah, med school, I just, I just lived at school for that second year. And, uh, I also reached out early to Durham programs. That was definitely something I did, especially my home program. But, uh, of course you, you have to have a good amount of emotional intelligence, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wanted to reach out and let them know I was really interested, but you also don't want to be annoying. You know what I mean? So like I was always walking that very fine balance, like, all right, I I don't want them to forget me. But at the same time, I don't want to come off as annoying and pushy uh, because it, I mean, even a resident, like it's easy for residents to see a medical student as annoying. 
So uh, luckily, I don't think I came off that way because, you know, I am where I am today. But uh, but that's what I did. I reached out to program directors. I reached out to the coordinators of programs. I asked about shadowing opportunities so that they could get to know me as a person. Um, because, I mean, you know what it is. There's a there's a baseline of where everybody has to be application wise. But then after that, it's really all about who you want to work with. So who did you reach out to for for your home program? Like, how did you navigate that being just just right? Not too much, not too little. I mean, first, I reached out to the coordinator of the program. And I asked her about setting up a meeting with the program director, who I was ridiculously intimidated to meet. Um, I just had preconceived, I had a lot of assumptions about the type of person he was. And that was out of ignorance on my side, of course. You know, I looked up, I I saw a picture of him online. I was just like, oh yeah, this isn't going to go well. Uh, Yeah, a little embarrassed to say that, you know, but it is what it is. I I like to admit my own faults and my own shortcomings. Uh, And then I met him and man, he was, when I say the exact opposite, like he's, he's to this day, one of my favorite people. Wow. I talked to him to this day. Yeah, I actually, uh, I went down to see him a couple of weeks ago in Gainesville. Uh, we talked very often and he actually became one of my closest mentors. And uh, so luckily me and him, we just kind of, we vibed right off the bat. Um, and so of course at first I thought like, oh man, all right, this is good. I'm in, you know, until <laughs> I also realized like, he's not like a lot of other program directors. Like he actually keeps things very fair. Like he gives everybody in the program, including the residents a vote on who they want in. And so everybody like makes their rank list. And then you just like add up all of the numbers to the ranks and whoever has the lowest number, they're ranked number one. And then after that, they're ranked number two. And like, that was how he did it at that time. And he was very open with me about it too. He was like, listen, I love you. He was like, but it's not just up to me. Um, wow. Yeah, so he kind of helped me to to get shadowing opportunities with the other residents as well. Um, and he also, you know, taught me the importance of doing away rotations and also gave me help as to like where I should do away rotations. And that was a, a huge thing too, doing doing quite a few away rotations. Some of my friends, like those are the only interviews that they got. Like they only got interviews at their home programs and then away rotations. So of course, whenever you're going into a really competitive field, um, that's important. So going in and shadowing, but making sure that I stay out of the residence ways. And then also just kind of learning how to become really helpful without getting in the way when I was shadowing residents. You know, like I kind of became like the second medical assistant. Okay. And like, I would talk to the medical assistants. I'd be like, hey, like, how does this resident like to like set things up? What do they like to do first? Like, what can I do to, instead of being in the room and just like sitting there as an annoying shadow, looking at what you're doing, like, how can I make their life easier so that they remember who I am? You know what I mean? And that was really, that was really like a huge thing. Like just kind of like talking to everybody and kind of treating everybody the same. That's how I've always kind of, that's how I've always been. Um, I've never really been big on, on treating, you know, the attending any different than I would treat the janitor that's just happening to come clean, you know, the floor. And so I think that helped me out because I ended up being nice to people because that's just like, I I like being nice to people because I really do just like people. And I ended up making good impressions and being nice to people that I didn't know could help me. Yeah. 
and then found out later that they could definitely help me. That's huge. A lot to uh, unpack there and a lot of actionable tips and, and pieces of advice for the medical students and the residents. And for honestly, you know, all the, all the folks listening in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be nice. Not because it can get you something, but just because. Yeah. Just be nice to people. Exactly. Uh, how long have you been in practice? Uh, since 2019, though. I don't know how much I would call my first gig practice. Uh, well, no, I mean, I mean, well, obviously, uh, I took, so I took the first six months after residency off, uh, did some traveling, uh, took my now wife, then fiance to North Africa to meet my mom's side of the family, uh, because my mom's the only one that's here. So I, I took her to North Africa. She got to meet everybody. She loved it. Um, we're really close. I took a little boat over to Spain and hung out over there in the south of Spain where some of my cousins, you know, went over there to go to school and stuff. And so we went and hung out over there. And then I started January 2020. Mm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so I started January 2020. And then by March, it was just like, well, there's nothing to do. And I was in a, I was in a smaller practice. It was, it was a practice owned by one physician. He was actually the only physician there um, for a very long time. And then he brought on one other and then I came along uh, and I was there for all of two months, you know, finally kind of all kind of starting to build up a schedule. Uh, and then COVID hit and I was working like two days a week, maybe. So it ended up just not being the opportunity I was looking for. Because you weren't, were you salaried or you were kind of eating what you killed? So, yeah, there's another message for the uh, medical students and residents for when you're coming <laughs> out. Um, so I kind of worked the numbers out and the way he was setting it up. And I was like, you know, eat what you kill is the way to go right off the bat. And he wanted me long term to take over the practice. So I knew that he wanted me to, you know, hang around. And so I was like, you know what, like I could end up making a lot more, which killing. of course, you know, I got my friends saying, man, you better just take this salary the first year mm. and see what happens. And I was like, no, I'm going to I'm going to eat what I kill. And I'll tell you what it was. I mean, it was going well by February, like in February, just that month alone, like I made more than I would have under any salary that month. Mm. Yeah. So that went well. Um, but then COVID hit. And I mean, it got to the point where he was like, you know what, we got to switch you over to some kind of salary because you're, you're not going to be making anything. Yeah. And so uh, I, I found out that you should definitely, no matter how appetizing it looks to go eat what you kill, um, take a salary first, because otherwise, and I thought about this before I'd even signed it. But like I said, I had, I'd gotten a good impression from the guy. Although don't ever just count on that because it doesn't matter what kind of impression. Everybody's beautiful until the signature's on the paper. Remember that. <laughs> um, and not to say that he he turned out to be a bad guy. He's a great guy. It seemed like he was. Uh, it seems like he's very helpful during this process. Or trying. Yeah, to be. he was. He was extreme. He was extremely. He was as helpful as he could be in this process. Um, but I mean, but everybody's not like that. And so mm -hmm. you have to remember that if you go eat what you kill right off the bat, there's no pressure on them to build up your schedule, mm. and they're still going to want their schedules to be thick because everybody wants to get paid. So if you don't go salary, then they're 
they're not really going to look your way if your schedule's thin. Whereas if they have to pay you a salary and they still have to cover their overhead, now they're saying, okay, if I have to give this person all this money, I want to at least make sure that they're covering their own salary and getting me a little bit of my money back. So they're going to make sure that your schedule is stacked and they're going to go out of their way to make sure that you're seeing patients. So no matter how good a deal looks, I'll tell you right now, if I were joining a new place and or if I were switching a job, I would I would always do salary first year. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to negotiate a hell of a salary. <laughs> oh, no, I, I am because I want the pressure to be on. Like, I want them to get my clinic running. And I mean, when, when I say that, people are like, oh, like, you know, you're asking for too much, you're asking for too much. But when you look into the business side of medicine, no, you're not. Most doctors just don't know what they're worth. And that's one of the biggest things I try to tell people, like, know what you're worth, like, know what you're collecting, know what their overhead is and know what you're worth, because people will not hesitate to make money off of your back. And don't get me wrong. That's not why I got into this. But in the same breath, I'm obviously not trying to make someone else ridiculously rich off of all the hard work (laughs) that I've done to get to where I am. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and you, as a young doctor, like you're never going to understand what you're worth. Like you're just not, you're going to be scared to ask for something. Um, you're going to be scared that you're asking too much and you're going to turn them down. First of all, it's hard to find a good doctor. So if you're a good doctor, they're not going to be turned. Now, don't get me wrong. If you say something, you know, outlandish, you're like, you know, hey, you know, I want a, a $500,000 sign on bonus and I want seven weeks vacation. You're going to have to figure that out. And obviously it's also how you present the package. But for the most part, you know, even if in their heads they're thinking you're crazy, they're going to say, well, let me tell you what I think. And then they're just going to kind of counter. But yeah, but the thing is, and and I found this out, you'll never know what you can get unless you ask for it. Good. Yeah. So you you, you made it through COVID. Uh, you might have had some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or some chicken noodle soup <laughs> to get you no, through. But. Luckily, luckily, no, luckily my, my wife then fiance, she was holding it down. So she's a, she's a PA in Durham. Um, funny enough, she's a PA in Durham at the University of Florida. That's how we met. But uh, yeah. yeah, but no, so she had her job, so she was holding it down, uh, luckily. But um, yeah, we found, we found this opportunity in Atlanta and to be honest, at first, because we were, I was looking at a couple of different places and even throughout COVID, there were practices that were taking advantage of all that COVID was bringing and they were expanding their practices because they had that leg to stand on and they had established themselves as a practice and had the money to do so. And so I found a few of them. They wanted to bring me on and we were kind of looking at places that we were going to go. And we're really thinking about the Orlando area. Uh, And I have a really good friend over there, uh, Michael Wongia in Winter Garden. He uh, has his practice over there, but he just started his practice. Um, And I, of course, would have loved to join because, you know, two black dermatologists at one practice killing it like that. That's my dream. Like me and him work together and he's awesome he's an amazing person he's an amazing yeah, shout out shout out name is what's his what's the name of the practice shout out to michael wongia florida institute of dermatology if you're in the orlando area please go see him <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no but seriously seriously michael wongia is i mean he, he's 
one of the best people you'll ever meet and one of the best doctors you'll ever meet. But yeah, so, but he, you know, he had just started his practice and then COVID hit. So obviously he couldn't take on another physician at that time. But there were a couple other areas uh, close by that I could have worked at. And then this opportunity in Atlanta presented itself, uh, outskirts of Atlanta. And at first I just kind of looked at, you know, my then fiance and I was like, eh, it's a free weekend in Atlanta. I can, we can go see my cousins and just enjoy the city. And so we went there. This is actually probably the first time I'm saying this out loud for people to be able to hear, but we went there with no expectations to want to go <laughs> at all. I was like, we're just going to take this flight. We're going to take this hotel stay. We're going to meet these nice people and then we're going to enjoy the city. Uh, and that was how we went in the morning of the interview. And literally by lunch, me and her are looking at each other like, is this where we're coming? And that was that was the decision we made at lunchtime. We we're like, yeah, I think I, I think this is where we're going to wow. be. And we didn't say it then. We just kind of looked at each other awkwardly at lunch like, <laughs> do you like this? And because and they also wanted to bring her on as well. So uh, that's why we were both interviewing. And at the end of the day, we were driving back to the hotel and I was like, so are we coming to Atlanta? And she just looked at me, she was like, it, it kind of looks like it. And we made the decision that day. Uh, of course, we didn't tell them that, you know, we had to, had to negotiate. Yeah, had to negotiate. But, um, but yeah, we made the decision and that was how we ended up in Atlanta. You're a private practice dermatologist? Yeah, private practice. What's your schedule and... Uh, my schedule, I'm one of those cliches right now. I'm working four days a week. Uh, but it's, it's actually because I want to, I want to work five days, but I don't want to work five days in the same place. So I'm working four days a week as of right now, but I have some, some plans. Dope. I have some things in the works. Yeah. Dr. Nozo, we, we got to talk about music. That, that's what the part of the ah. to get to, the musician position. So how do you find the time to still work on music and create? Man, well, we we wake up pretty early. So me and my wife, we wake up at about 4 o'clock every day. And I'm usually at the gym by like 4.15, 4.30. And so by about 5.30, 6 o'clock, by 6 o'clock, I'm showered and can, usually can like do some reading, you know, like read the JAD or whatever journal I have, or if I want to like learn how to do something new, which is what I'm doing right now. Cause there's a lot of things I'm trying to learn about, including, you know, things like NFTs, of course, mm -hmm. as an artist, I'm sure you've been looking into it as well. Yeah. But, uh, so that's what I do in the morning. So then after work, I mean, all I have is free time. So, you know, we'll have dinner and then we'll watch a show and then we kind of get on what we want to do. And then sometimes in the morning, if I feel motivated, instead of reading something like after my workout, I'll just listen to instrumentals and start writing. And then, of course, it, it also helps that right now I'm working four days a week. So on weekends, of course, I can, you know, do lots of writings and then like record the videos and, you know, record the songs and things like that. But I mean, it, it, it's it's therapeutic for me, like writing writing, you know, like I love to sing, but writing is just a whole different monster for me. Like writing music, writing songs is therapeutic. So it kind of helps me unwind. It helps me relax, helps me deal with a lot of things too. You know, like it kind of helps me like work out my emotions. Like if there's, you know, something going on, which obviously within the last year and a half, there's been lots going on. 
So it's always been an outlet for me. And in 2021, you released the EP, No Longer Trending. First, uh, where did that title come from? So it kind of came from, I guess it just kind of came from my observations. Like I felt like things were happening in the community and people were getting angry. And I, but I also felt like, and this, this, I I am, or at least, well, I don't believe that I'm a pessimist. I feel I'm the furthest thing from a pessimist. Um, But of course, everybody's, you know, able to make their own judgments on that. Uh, But I have always felt that people get angry about things, but then we have so many distractions that you forget about it, you know? And I feel like, that was the one thing that 2020 took away from us that forced people to really look at what's going on and get angry. I feel like 2020 took away the distractions because now you can't go to the movies. Now you can't travel. You can't go to, you know, you can't go to Mexico. You can't go to Greece. Everybody had to stay at home and you had nothing to do but actually observe what's going on. And I felt like that was what forced people into having to deal with it. Um, they couldn't hide with it with distractions. And so I felt that even with that, you know, over time, people would just slowly kind of start to do their own thing again, which is normal. You know, like it's normal for you to become distracted or become, you know, occupied with your own life because we all have a lot of things going on. And, it just kind of seemed like some of the things that were going on in 2020 were already kind of starting to die down. And I was still feeling it. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. still had a lot of, a lot of unresolved emotions and a lot of unresolved frustrations. And like, I feel like that's what everything's about nowadays. I feel like everything's about what's trending right now. And if it's trending, then everybody cares about it and everybody wants to put their two cents in it. But then once it's no longer trending, everybody gets quiet. And so I guess that's where the title came from. The uh, album itself is it's got some incredible music, obviously some incredible talent. You gave me the opportunity to to kind of play around, put some keys on on one of the songs. And honestly, yeah. it was the first time I worked with a, with a musician. So thank you for, for doing that. No, man. Thank you. And, and that song in particular, uh, Spark the Flame, the message behind it, what drove you to wrote it, I think it's something that very moving, um, you know, honestly, it tears my eyes listening to it. Can you talk about that song, uh, Spark the Flame? Because anytime we try to rise, as the people in the past, they would lie, discredit our leaders and label them was uh was about george floyd and that was my inspiration for it and like i said it it uh 
it was the first time that I had seen so many people of every different background, you know, every different ethnic background, every race, you know, get so angry about it. And in the same breath that I was saying, you know, people tend to find something that's trending that they get upset about and then leave it alone. I felt like this was the first time that something had happened on camera that was just so gruesome that it might actually be able to start a movement or start something that people aren't just going to forget. And so that was how I came up with the title Spark the Flame. And I guess it was just my way of trying to trying to deal with the death of another human being and trying to give it some purpose. And I know it sounds stupid and selfish because like it's not my family member or anybody I know, but it's like that helped me feel a little bit better about it because when it happened, just like a lot of people, I was angry, you know, I was upset. And it's frustrating because you can't really show that side of yourself, especially in the profession that we're in. Right. Yeah. Um, because you can have, you know, depending on, on the uh, amount of pigmentation in your skin cells, you can have the same emotions, but then they come across and are assessed and analyzed in very different ways. You can have a very rational emotion, but someone will try to make you think and feel like you're not being a very rational person. And so I think writing those songs is really what kind of helped me get through, you know, the pent up frustration of not being able to express myself the way I wanted to say, you know, on a daily basis or when someone would say something that maybe I didn't agree with. Um, because I, I think that it is quite important to open up dialogue and to speak with people. But I think that a lot of people say that they want to talk or, well, they do want to talk and that's fine, but nobody really wants to listen, hmm. you know? And I, and I don't think that everything that I say, regardless of who I'm talking to on whatever subject, I don't think that everything I say is going to be right. I think that everything I say is going to be coming from my point of view. And I am actually willing to listen to someone else's point of view. And there's a lot of my friends that they say they will, but they won't. And, and I understand it. But I feel like the only way that we would actually be able to try and grasp why someone's feeling or thinking a certain way is if we actually listen to them. Because I know that no one else has lived my life, has lived my experiences. So I can't expect them to feel the way I feel about something. But that doesn't mean that my feelings aren't valid. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, all of that, that long winded story to say, uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's what sparked the flame came from. It just came from the hopes that out of this tragedy, there would come a movement that actually led to change. Well, definitely, uh, check out this EP. It's available on Spotify and I'm sure other uh, streaming platforms. Shout out. Yeah, it's on it's on Apple and all major. <laughs> Appreciate the shout out. But no, it's yeah, it's available on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, um, everything else, Prime Music, which I didn't know was a thing until I put out the EP. Well, Dr. Nozil, uh, as we, we're kind of wrapping up, but as a musician in an incredibly busy educational pathway, specialty, all the above, how have you managed music? along with everything. I know for me, I'm picking it up, putting it down uh, over the last 12 years or so. How have you been able to kind of dabble in both? Um, so that, 
I was I was pretty much doing the same thing for a while. I was picking it up, putting it down, picking it up, putting it down, uh, especially during residency. Um, it was mostly just putting it down. Uh, derm residency is nothing like derm after residency. Like everybody's like, oh, the derm residents, like they're just living life. We are not. Um, <laughs> actually, my, my first year in derm, I missed intern year. Like I wow. really missed it. Yeah, I really missed it. Because intern year, you're just kind of, you're going off of a base of knowledge that you already have from medical school, you know? So you'd work for, you know, 12 hours a day. But then when you go home, your time is yours. But then dermatology comes in and like it's biochem and general sciences again and rheumatology and immunology and like a bunch of stuff you haven't seen in years. And so you get out of clinic and your day's just begun because you have to read for hours. Wow. And that's just pretty much what it was like. My first year of derm, I hated it. I was like, you know, what? I wish I was back in intern year. This is stupid. This sucks. Like, I don't know if I'm smart enough to make this. You know, I had a, had had like a hint of imposter syndrome for you know a couple of months until I realized, screw that. You know, I just learned differently than everybody. I got got to go back to doing things the way I do it. But so I I didn't get to do a lot of music during residency. So those three years, and I think that actually had a little bit to do with uh, why like I, I was a little more frustrated and not as happy in residency. Although, I mean, I was happy. I'm, I'm a happy guy, but, you know, I, I wasn't my usual self. I think it was because I had to take that break from music. But since finishing, um, I've been I've been a lot more consistent with it. Not as much with the guitar as I would have liked. I had started picking that up uh, and then put it down. And now just recently, within the past couple of months, I picked it back up and decided I'm not going to fall off again so I'm, I'm giving my making myself do at least 20 minutes a day of that um but no i i make myself do it every day like even if i have to do it during the gym i'll just play instrumentals during my workout instead of listening to music that you know gets you crunk i'm listening to like slow melodies and you know it's hmm. yeah it's hard to kind of work through that to try to do a workout but at the same time like i'm writing lyrics while i'm working out um and then I'll just come in back to the house. I'll record it really quick and then shower and, you know, go about my day. Um, and luckily I have a very, very understanding and inspiring wife that, you know, allows me to do those things, you know, instead of doing other things like, well, I don't know. I don't know what other things couples do, but, you know, <laughs> she has her own thing and I have my own thing. And, you know, we still get to do it around each other. And she likes my singing. So, you know, that also works. She, she kind of pretends that I'm just serenading her the whole time, unless it's a song that doesn't have to do with love, in which case, you know. <laughs> That's a plus. I wish I, my fiance felt the same about my melodica, but she does yeah, not. I was going to say, she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Dr. Nozil, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I definitely have learned a lot, even the talk about that contract and, you know, being salaried versus RVU based coming out of residency. Um, appreciate everything that you are doing folks. Again, check him out on Instagram, on social media, the musician physician, and then you can check out his music on Spotify and the other main streaming platforms. Dr. Wallace Nozil, AKA the musician physician. Thank you for joining us because representation matters. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, I look forward to collaborating with you on music again soon. Hoping, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yes, sir. We're going to do it. 
podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. If you enjoy listening, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters. And a special thank you to Dr. Wallace Nozil the musician physician for allowing us to use his music in this episode.